On this week's episode of 90 Degrees, we are joined by Spanky, professional better, Spank God's founder, creator of BetBash, and creator of the Sports Gambling Hall of Fame. You can find Spanky on Twitter at Spanky. Today we're talking about Spanky's team, his process for betting on sports, and top-down versus bottom-up approach. Let's dive into the sharp side and look for the right angles in sports betting. Big bomb. Ladies and gentlemen, Jews and Gentiles, Sharks and Squares, welcome to episode of 90 Degrees, the show where we provide the right sports betting angles. I'm your host, Kevin Davis, and today we have Spanky, professional sports better, sports betting business entrepreneur, founder of BetBash, founder of Spank Odds, and anything else I forgot. But before we bring on Spanky, we want to give a quick thank you to our sponsors over at Pinnacle, which, by the way, is a sports book. Pinnacle is the world's sharpest sports book and is now available in Ontario. Find out what professional bettors have known for decades. Pinnacle is where the bettors play, taking sharp action every day. No limits, low synthetic hold, and it's a must-have for those with a top-down approach, like Spanky. You must be 19-plus in Ontario. Please play responsibly. It's unfortunately not available in the United States, or else I would l- use it and really hard because they're a sharp book. And on that note, we have Spanky. Now, Spanky is probably the most well-known sports better within the sharp community. Um, I can't think of anyone else who's more well-known who's a sharp uh, within, I mean, except for Billy Wall, uh, which he will come up later. Uh, he's also the founding odds, which is a great odds platform for tracking at the line movements, looking at the limits. He also is the Fed Bash, which is an in-person sports betting networking conference. But what makes Bed Bash different is it's for sports bettors. All the other cover operators and affiliates to link up to figure out ways to screw over bettors. Bed Bash is all about bettors kicking ass. So my first question is going to be, uh, what makes you uh, different than most betters? What's your angle? Well, Kevin, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Thanks for the kind words. I'm, I don't think I'm. Uh, I appreciate it. I'm, you know, I'll never be in the same league as Billy Walters, obviously. And I'm. Uh, I just try to do my own thing, and, and you know, just try to get ahead. But um, what makes me different than most betters? Um, you know, I. Uh, I've been doing this now coming up on, you know, a little over 20, 22, 23 years. And, um, and it's been, you know, I, I kind of seen a lot and, um, you know, like they say, there's no substitution for experience. So I kind of know the pitfalls. I know how it is to lose. I know I've just, I, I've, I've been there, done that, been around the track several times, um, and uh, I'm, I'm able to adapt pretty easily. And I think that's kind of what sets me apart um, from the rest. And again, I'm not trying to compete with anybody, but I'm just trying to, you know, make me and my staff and we put out the, you know, do the best we can to try to win as much as possible to be able to support our families. Yes, certainly. But um, like, I'm just thinking of the one time when Andrew Luck retired and you tweeted, who's that? And you're one of the few people successful in NFL betting. What 
makes it so a better can win by looking at the markets rather than looking at the players and the teams and other statistics. Well, we take, like you said, we take a top-down approach, which is a phrase I coined a while ago, instead of a bottom-up approach. A bottom-up approach essentially is, um, just to compare, to describe the differences, a bottom-up approach to sports betting is essentially trying to build your own model or try to create a number, try to compare that number to the sports books, look at the players' stats, look at the different ways that, you know, all these different variables and try to come up, you know, build a concoct, make a concoction, build it and try to come up with a number, compare that number to what the sportsbook have. If there's enough of discrepancy, you would then, you know, bet that number at the sportsbook. Um, that's complex. That's hard. That's not easy. Um, and um, it's not something, you know, we've, I, have I built bottom-up models? Yeah. Um, am I good at them? No. So instead, what I did was is I took a top-down approach. And a top-down approach essentially is you don't have to know anything about the players. You don't have to know anything about teams or stats or whatever. You have to assume the line is correct and then figure out a way to know what's missing in that line if it's not correct. So you're kind of finding the missing piece of the puzzle, anticipating line movement and um, what could cause line movement. So many different things, um, injuries. Um, syndicate play, if you know a, a specific syndicate's going to bet a game, if you know uh, coaches' tendencies, just one variable to be able to, um, to, to, to kind of predict which way the line will move. And, and, um, and then, you know, and, and you, if you're able to do that and achieve enough closing line value to overcome the bookmaker's vig, then, um, then you know, all of a sudden you, you've solved the, the key to sports betting. Um you know, a lot of people say the key to sports betting is to pick winners, um, and I, I'll take it a step further. You don't need to pick winners. What you need to do is you need to predict uh, line movement. If you could predict line movement, that automatically translates to picking winners. So what makes it so, you know, many bettors can't predict line movement, but you can? What sort of variables are you good at picking out? So we have a whole injury department. That's a big part of me, um, that our injury team is second to none, in my opinion. Um, we work with some of the top syndicates in the world. So we know when lines are going to move. We know when some of the syndicates are going to bet. Um, I have several different contacts all over the world, whether that be in Costa Rica, China, um, you know, other places that I don't even want to mention. But, uh, you know, we know from bookmaker standpoint if, if, if how sharps are betting and, and how other places. Because, again, I'm never going to say that I know it all. Um but I want to have my hand on the pulse to know what other people are doing and to kind of get the wisdom of the crowds. Um, if I get the wisdom of the crowds and know exactly if multiple people uh, like Team A, then you bet Spanky's also going to be betting Team A. Um, if one sharp syndicate li likes Team A and the other one likes Team B, I don't want nothing to do with that. Um, I'm not going to say one's better than the other. No. So you kind of handicap the handicappers type thing. And how did I get to that point? Through experience, through connections, through travel, through, um, you know, being a nice guy, making friends, shaking hands, and um, building an inf infrastructure in, with the ability to be able to bet at a very fast pace using technology and, um, and having a good team to, um, to be able to execute um, in a timely manner. So I'm assuming these people all over the world who are helping you out with information aren't giving it away for free. What do you offer them uh, so that they work with you? 
So, yeah, so great. So, you know, betting partnerships is a very important thing. And that's, you know, in order for me to get down, um, betting partnerships work in two ways. So I, I try, I, you know, if I walk into any sports book, almost any sports book in the United States and say, hi, I'm Spanky, can I bet? Most people are going to say, no, we don't want your action. So I, I'm banned pretty much from everywhere for the most part. There's, of course, a, few, a select few that still welcome my action, although most of it's on a limited basis. So I established betting partnerships with people in which I would tell them, listen, you go bet and we could share the profits. Um, and that's how I established betting partnerships. Now, uh, by the same token, certain syndicates around the world, sharp syndicates, they're like, listen, Spanky, you know, we need to bet at a significant amount and we don't know how to bet. So can, let's be betting partners. I'm like, yeah, sure. I'll be able to, and we'll also share the profits um, because I have an ability to be able to bet at scale in a very timely manner without affecting uh, or, or, or without making the market move. Um, if, you know, or, or, you know, making the market move if I wanted to, it all depends on the certain scenarios. But I think that's kind of um, uh, uh, an advantage that I've had just based on my reputation. You know, guys come to me and they want to deal with me. They want to work with me because I'm honorable. Because in, in this business, you know, there's no contracts. There's no way, uh, you know, everything is based on handshakes and, 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 um, and you know, word of mouth and, and, and just, you know, reputation. So my reputation is impeccable. I'm very proud of that. Not one person I've ever done dirty in the entire in my entire career, um, and also I'm 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 you know I'm fair, um, you know so I'm I'm also you know and I think once you combine honor and fairness, um, it's a winning formula, and also you know at the end of the day, Kevin, I'm I think you know I'm I'm my crew and myself we're pretty cool to work with, um, you know we know what we're doing, and um, you know there's experience there, so I, you know I don't want to toot the horn too much, but you know. Uh, the proofs in the pudding, just just based on you know the reputation. So, who are the crew members, and what do each of them do? So, the guy that runs my trading desk is Luke, Live Dog Luke on Twitter. Um, he's um, you know he, he's incredible. He he's the one who kind of handles what we bet on, why we're betting, what you know the order, the different ways to bet, you know the different uh, how he should. Uh, there's just so many different facets of it, how you structure the bet, how you're able to, you know, who you should bet first to avoid line movement, who you should bet first to propose line movement to be able to manipulate a game. Um, you know, uh, Luke is, 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 is a maestro, um, uh, and, and he handles that perfectly, and that's his, his, his role. Uh, we also have supporting traders as well, including Chinese Mike, but Chinese Mike is usually is the accounts manager. So Chinese Mike is the one that is, you know, talking to betting partners, trying to meet them, trying to establish betting partners, and he also does figures. So he's the accountant, head accountant. So he handles all the numbers, all the figures, and um, and uh, you know, if you want to work with us, the only person that, you know that you're always going to guarantee to talk to is Chinese Mike. Um, there's betting partners we have that I've never even talked to, but they've talked to Chinese Mike. Um, there's Asian betting partners that I have that I'll never talk to that will only talk to Chinese Mike because that's a pretty tight-knit community. Um, and then, like I said, we have an injury team. We have a tech team. We have a, a, a supporting accounting team, a trading team. Um, so, you know, the list goes on and on. And then we have other people 
that, um, you know, a quant team, a prop team um, that, you know, provide us numbers so that, you know, if we're working with certain different syndicates, we want to have our own set of numbers and to be able to anticipate and say, okay, listen, if we have a match here, this might be a good thing. Um, not that our quants are better than others, but it's nice to be able to have a set of numbers to work off of as a basis. So we have a team that, that provides us numbers that, you know, that we outsource um, for different sports um, that are located throughout the world. Um, now, when you combine your, uh, your quant team that's putting together numbers and you're anticipating line movements, like let's say you're looking at injury news and a player's injured that you think the replacement's going to be better than the player, but the market disagrees. Do you ever sometimes wait for the market to overreact on those line moves? Yeah, that's rare for the replacement to actually be better because then that means he would have started. Like, you know what I mean? But you're right. I get it. Um, or let's just, or the team doesn't know what they're doing. Yeah. <laughs> that's it. That's, that's, say, say that the player is equivalent to the starter. Let's just say, you know, that, that's something I've seen more. Um, so, yeah. So what, ha- what would happen is if the replacement's equivalent to the starter, um, it's, it's, you know, just like in any markets, in the equities markets, you know, you hear, you know, buying the rumor, selling the news. Um, that's the old adage where, you know, when, when you know, when you think the guy is questionable and you see the line creeping up, creeping up, and then all of a sudden uh, it flashes, whether it be on Don Best or Spank Odds or, or Twitter or wherever, um, that the guy is not going to play. That's kind of already been reflected in the line. Um, so a lot of people then will overreact and it will bump up even more. A line went from, let's just say, five to seven, and then the news flashes, and then it goes to seven and a half or eight even. That's when you know, you know what, this the seven was usually the accurate number that already reflected that. So eight might have been a bridge too far, they say, or kind of been a, a move too far. And that's when it just takes experience and knowledge to be able to know, okay, you know what, although we laid the five in anticipation of this, um, we think this line's going to close seven or maybe even six and a half. So taking plus eight is not a bad play either. Um, and that's something that um, that just takes years and years of just knowing and um, of just watching lines move. Um, it, it's not, I, 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 there's no set formula to know exactly where a line's going to close, you know, but, um, but that's what we try to always focus on. We have, you know, we have line data that's been stored for years and years and, 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 and line movement data. And you kind of use some of that technical analysis essentially to predict um, which way the line will go and um, based on this or that factor and whatnot. And, 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 you know, we try to use some of that as well. There's just, it, it goes really deep. Um, but I think there's nothing, you know, could a, could a computer be programmed to kind of predict it? I'm doing that now. We're trying to anticipate it and trying to kind of build um, some AI around it um, as the season progresses. But at the same time, you know, I, I don't think we're, Personally, we're not as we kind of still always need a human to be able to complement that uh, to to bring it to the next level. Just like you know, today a good analogy is today in the world, all these planes essentially they're all self flying. You know what I mean? Like nobody's really you know steering a plane and shouldn't fly. Everything is done by computers and it's done automatically. But at the same time, there's no shot that the plane's going to be able to be there. There's you got to have a pilot in the seat. Um, just in case, or if case some shit goes wrong, whatever. So, um, that being said, same here with us, you know, I mean, there's always going to be a pilot in the seat, but you want the computer to do as much as possible. Yeah. I like the, uh, the airplane analogy. Normally I use airplane analogies differently. Like 
on an airplane, I know that there's so few crashes that I don't listen to the safety announcement. But when crossing the street, I always look both ways. Now, now, um, you know, I just got to give you a shout out on this because I've always been trying to figure out when the line moves based on injury news and other factors. But one thing as part of my betting game, I never really took account into until I started using spank odds is when the limits are raised at certain books. Because I would notice the limit would get raised at Pinnacle for a sport that Pinnacle doesn't originate on. They would wait for somebody else to release an opener. Then the next day, Pinnacle, I'm just talking about Canadian football, for example. The next day, we'll see if this happens this year. The next day, Pinnacle will come. They'll put their number up. They'll move a bit. Then maybe the next day, they double their limit or triple, or triple their limit. And then you see the line will slightly move at what time it does it. Um, in your sports betting journey, um, determine the impact of betting limits and what made you put that tool out for the public to see? Well, let me answer the second question first. Uh, I had a lot of pushback from my team to put that tool out. You know what I mean? That's something that we didn't want to put out um, because that's some, that's a, that's a, an edge that I've had for two decades, um, being able to know what the betting limits were. And um, it just it makes sense though, right? Think like like you said, Kevin. Um, you know, the, the, if you know what the limit is that a sports book's taken, and uh, you, and then you see their line move, um, you can kind of put a lot more weight into their line move depending on what limit they take. Um, the analogy I give there is, you know, a line without a limit is like a house without a neighborhood. Um, you can have a beautiful house, but if it's in a shitty ass neighborhood where there's you know lots of crime and that house is not so beautiful anymore. Um, and, and the same thing, you, you know, somebody, oh my God, look at that line. It's, 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 plus, it's, it's a seven out there and everyone else has a six. That line might look good, but if, if the plus seven, you only can get 200 bucks on it, who gives a shit? You see what I'm saying? It, it doesn't make it, it doesn't mean anything. Whereas if you could get, you know, 20,000 on that plus seven, um, let's just say, um, and everyone else has painted six, oh shit, that's going to mean a lot. That's going to say a lot. So, you know, monitoring limit changes um, is, is very critical. It's it's a very critical tool. And I think if used correctly, um, it can, just that alone, honestly, <coughs> you could probably, you know, you could make a, a good living just betting sports, just monitoring limit changes. I, I, I know it sounds crazy, but I know how important it is. And I know, you know, limit changes coupled with line movements, you know, like, you know, like, you know, like if I see a sports book, move from five to six and then right after that move the limit goes up that's it you just know that the favorite they're so confident that the favorite at minus five would be a solid price that they, they're so confident that that line is strong now and that they've written that, that sometimes it just takes that one bet that they've written to know okay now i'm very i feel really good about this and six is probably the number so um that's why i'm going to increase my limits you know the sports book's goal um, is to try to get to the closing line as fast and as cheaply as possible. A lot of people don't understand that that aspect of it, but that's what they want. It's not about beating every you know. When I'm talking about a real sports book, um, a real sports book that books all different companies, they want to just get to that closing line as fast as possible and as cheaply as possible. Um, and 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 then once they sort of once they feel as if they're close to that or they're getting closer to that closing line, that's when the limits start increasing. Um, and then once you start seeing that, 
then you got to use that information accordingly um, in, um, in making and assessing what you're going to do um, on that game based on that. Yes, yeah, certainly. Um, it's just like an amazing aspect of, you know, sort of the sports betting market that it's not so much about, you know, your opinion on thinking what's going to go on. Even if you're a bottom up handicapper, you still have to look at the way the market works and what time of the day it moves. hundred percent, hundred percent. Have you ever thought about having a tool where you can look up past days on Spank Odds and what time the lines have moved? 100%. We're definitely going to put that in. But you got to keep in mind, Kevin, like Spank Odds is free and it's still free. So that's one of those things in which if we're going to put it in, we're probably going to put it in um, when people are going to start paying. You know what I mean? We can't, you know, because that's going to, you know, we have access to our historical databases and shit like that. This is something that. You know, we we want to give we're giving a lot for free already, uh, but we gotta you gotta put a you know cut line I gotta draw the line somewhere type thing and and I think historical data as much as we'd want we're gonna put it up we're definitely gonna be a part of it we just can't put that out there right now as part of the free product um, you know I don't want to put limit changes out there um, there's so many things I don't want to put out there that's already on there um, but believe it or not there's still things that are not released on Spank Odds that um, and to be frank with you, that might not ever be released that we on our, on our internal version of Spank Odds is released. You know, my guys still use, um, and I'm not going to get into that, but I'm just saying, you know what I mean? Like I, I've given a lot away and, you know, it's one of those things in which I'm a better first instead of an odd screen developer second. So, you know, as much as my urn gets, gets hurt slightly by releasing some of these things, we're still very, fairly confident we're going to still be able to make money. Um, we just want to put something out there that we believe every better can use and make money with. And um, that's the difference between us and I think anybody else is that Spank Odds is built by betters for betters. This is me. You know what I mean? I'm a top-down guy. Spank Odds is a top-down tool. I know what's important. And that's why limit changes you don't see anywhere else because – but of course, when we release it, everyone's like, oh shit, that shit is really good. Why don't I think of that? Because you don't bet for a living. That's why you didn't think of that. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like that, that's, that's what it comes down to. Um, uh, and, and that's why, you know, we believe the stuff we put out is, is, is second to none. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of like when you produce sports betting content and the people who run the, the site aren't pro bettors. They do bet occasionally, uh, which is good. Uh, it's much better than never betting at all, which sometimes also happens in the industry. But I'm, they give me the deadline. They say, we want it at 11 a.m. And I'll know that that market moves the most at 1 p.m. So I'll say, I'm just letting you know, the market's going to move a lot at 1 p.m. I'm just going to write in the article. Right now, this is what the price is going to be. But watch out for this time. I think it's going to move in the other direction. And here's the number I'd play it up to. Um but, you know, but that's certainly like one of my pet peeves with uh, the sports betting content side of the industry for picks, because people want the pick content is the most popular, uh, but there's not enough emphasis on responsible pick content. Very well said, Kevin. I couldn't agree more with what you just said. Um, most of these content people, unfortunately, um, don't bet. <laughs> Um, or don't know how to bet, or don't know what betting entails, and don't know that this is a live market, 
and that lines are moving all the time, and they just don't get it. Um, and uh, that's just, you know, the industry we're in. Um, people just want to think that, like you said, just give shit out, and it doesn't matter. I like the Lakers today. Whatever price you could get, just bet it. Who gives a shit? You know, and, and you know, once you start putting shit out like that, um, then it gets real dangerous, real dangerous. Yeah, I mean, there always needs to be some sort of understanding of the market and price sensitivity. Um, I can't say that for, you know, some sports content sites will ask if you bet. Um, definitely sports trading jobs, they ask if you bet. But they're not just going to take your word for it. They're going to know right away because they know how to sniff out betters. Now, the one of your other big projects is Bet Bash, which we've already had Bet Bash 1 which is where I met Scott, made a lifetime friend. It's also where I first met Rob for the first time. Bet Bash 2 uh, was multiple days in Las Vegas last year. It was amazing. I sought out Rob Pizzola like a heat-seeking miss- missile uh, to sit with him at the Bookie Better Breakfast. We built the rela- relationship, and then this show came out of the relationship. Uh, what sort of past relationships have happened because of Bet Bash and what is Bet Bash? So, you know, it's pretty crazy. You've been running this podcast now, Kevin, for a while. Um, and essentially, correct me if I'm wrong, this podcast and your relationship with Pozzola wouldn't have happened if it were not for Bet Bash, is what you're telling me. Correct. So, you know, that's what I'm saying. Like, you know, a lot of people say, man, this Bet Bash shit, I don't know if I should go or. Uh, this is, it's overstated. It's not that, you know, lives have changed. Um, synergies have been created. Businesses and partnerships have been developed. Um, Bet Bash is a sports betting networking conference um, that I created um, not because I wanted to make money selling tickets or I thought it would be an easy earn. No, it's because I wanted to meet people and build relationships to enhance my business. Um, and at Bet Bash, we've made those connections. Like, I, I lost a peanut uh, uh, holding Bet Bash too. We lost a little bit of money. Um, but when the relationships that we made, you know, we made a lot of money because just like everybody else, um, it wasn't selling tickets. I'm happy to break even at Bet Bash. Sure, I want to listen. I'm not allergic to money. Don't get me wrong. I'm going to do all this work. I'm still going to try to make money. But at the same time, the goal is never to make Bet Bash the super money maker. It's to bring people together and for us to meet people to enhance our betting business. Everything is always to enhance the betting business, um, and because that, that's what I do. I mean, I'm a better, and I need partnerships. I need people to help me get down to be able to survive. Um, and Bet Bash helps me with that. And it also connects me with people that things I don't know about. So I'm, you know, just because I'm a pro and I've been doing this for a long time, doesn't mean I'm the master of all, by, not by any means. There's stuff we don't know, a lot of stuff. And I learn from other people. And I want to make connections and then maybe try to diversify and get into different businesses or maybe start betting different sports that we don't mess around with. And Bet Bash is a way for us to do that. Um, so, you know, like you said, Kevin, it's, it's, I can't begin to describe how many lives were changed, how many connections were made, 
Um, it, it's crazy. Um, but it, it was needed, you know, it was right after COVID, and I just said, I can't take this shit anymore. I want to go meet people, and I want to go have a good time. I want to go have a few cocktails while talking sports betting and potentially making money-making uh, con- uh, relationships and, and having fun. Um, and then you sprinkle in meeting legends and, you know, interacting with guys that kind of laid the groundwork for our industry. You put all that together, and that's Bet Bash. So um, I'm pretty proud of what we've accomplished. Yeah, I mean, countless people have probably told these stories about how Bet Bash has really improved their process and made them money. I know that I can say from Bet Bash too, uh, I made my money right away from the admission fee right before it started because Scott got a bunch of us together uh, to go to the Plaza Buffet, including Adam Bjorn. And he was just talking for two hours. He was a guest recently. And just from what I learned from him alone, uh, that made me you know, enough money already to pay the admission fee and most of the flight. And then day after day came and it became you know, profitable for me. Yeah, you know, and, and Adam participated in all the events. Um, so Adam, Adam is a great guy, humble guy. He'll sit and talk and he knows a lot. He's forgotten, uh, what most people will ever learn. Um, but, um, but he also understands that he's trying to learn as well. Same thing with a guy like Jelko, who's the most successful gambler in the world. Um, Jelko was at Bat Bash last year and, um, and people didn't even realize that was him. Um, if you look up Jelko, um, you'll know that this guy, you know what I mean? This, 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 that's a lot of money, biggest horse better in the world. And, and, um, and he told me, I'm like, you know, he told me, yeah, I'd love to come. He goes, I'm like, you want to do the speed network? He goes, yeah, maybe I might learn something. And that's the mentality. You know, when you have the best gambler in the world saying, Hey, I want to meet other smart people. Maybe I might learn something. That's how the best stay the best. Um, you know, and that's why. Like Dinky. Yes, same thing. We met Dink at the last two ones. The late great Dinky, who was, you know, we all miss. Um, he always was trying to learn. And Dinky knows, knows so much, but he never stops learning. The best betters, I believe, um, Kevin, are the ones that never want to stop learning and that always wanted to be able to just keep getting better and keep getting better and never resting on their laurels. And I think that's something that, um, and it doesn't matter. You can't shake it out of them. Like, you know what I mean? Like for example, Jelko, Jelko has all the money in the world. He could spend it multiple lifetimes over, but he doesn't give it. It's not about the money. It's about knowledge and chasing, um, and keep getting better and better and staying on top and, and, and just continuing to succeed. It's, it's, you know, money is just of, of what they look at, but it's, it's it's not the um it's not the do all end all. You get into this like I got into the sure I want to make money it's obvious but at the same time once you've made enough and I'm of course nowhere near a chalco but you once you've made enough you don't just do it for the money you do it just because you can and because you 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 know you're good enough and you're essentially just telling the sports books you're trying to say until I'm gonna keep doing it I'm gonna still lay one ten and win, which is theoretically, you know, you know, not supposed to happen, but I'm going to continue to do so, uh, until I can't, until there's a way I just can't do it. So it's just like, it's not 
to, to make the most money, although it is kind of, but it's, it's not like, that's not the only goal. The, the chase, the, 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 the climb, um, you know, they say it's not just when you're, it's the climb, it's the process of just going through it and, 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 do, you know, having a fulfilling life on, on, on saying, listen, I did this to the best of my ability and I, you know, I just, I did it until I couldn't be stopped. And if I can be stopped, then I'll, I'll walk away and say it was a good run. But we're just getting started, you know what I mean? Like, at least for our, our team, you know, we can't be stopped. And, you know, we know, you know what I mean? <laughs> you know, we're just, it's all about just uh, the hardest part in sports betting, Kevin, once you get to a certain level, is not winning. Winning becomes trivial. It's it's getting down and, and scaling and being able to bet enough and to be able to bet enough covertly to be able to last. It's lasting, and that's in any advantage player and anything, any part of um, uh, successful advantage gambling. It's not about winning; um, it's about lasting. So that's what I say a lot of the time: is that uh, sports betting is one of the few fields where you get so good. Sometimes you get forced into retirement. Yeah, that's a great. I never thought of that. Um, you're right, um, but most people adapt. You know what I mean? Like I, I, I'm trying to. Some people, you know, I had Steve Z on, and he had to. He was forced to retire because it just he could, I don't know, you know, he did other things. But you gotta, you gotta learn to adapt. It's it's adaptability, um, and um, things are gonna change. What worked five years ago is not gonna work today. What works today is not gonna work five years from now. Um, you gotta figure it out, and you gotta know how to zig, and when you gotta zig, and zag when you gotta zag, and and just you know, kind of stay ahead of it. Yeah, I mean, one thing, one of your, my favorite episodes from you is the one where you talk about how uh, you, sh- you shouldn't want to be a professional better just because of how awful it is. Because uh, people say to me all the time, oh, if you're winning at sports, why don't you become a professional better? And I just tell them that for so much of it, what it takes to be a professional better, it's not worth it because it's not only making the right bets, but getting the money down. And then at a certain point, you have to deal with some shadiness if you want to scale up. Which that was winning is just the beginning. That episode you're talking about when I when I talked about, you know, just recently, I maybe a few months ago I put it out. Um, yeah, one of your solo ones. Yeah, winning is just the beginning. Um, yeah, I appreciate it. You know, I got a lot of good feedback on that, and that's something that some guy told on Twitter. He goes, "Yeah, Spanky, you know, he complains about the industry as he boards his private jet or something." And I'm like, dude, you know, you don't, it's like, it, it ain't like that, man. Like, I'm not like, it, it's, it's this, this is the, one of the few industries, the only industry or one of the few that I, at least the one, the only one that I know of that you get penalized for being good. And, um, and it sucks. Like, you know, I, I grew up in, in the American consciousness that you excel at something, you do good at something and. Fuck, you know what I mean? Everyone's happy and proud of you. Good job, you know, like, you can become a good doctor and, you know, you get awards and, you, you know, oh, look, you're reviewed in this journal and that journal and you have a great practice and people credit you and you got plaques on the walls and shit. I, I, that's how I, that's how I, you know, I go to the doctor's office and say, man, maybe one day I'll be a doctor just like this guy. He's so good. Everybody loves him. Um, in sports betting, there's little plaques and shit. You get good at this shit. Your ass is numb. You got kicked in the ass so many times because you've been booted, um, and um, nobody, everybody hates you. Um, and um, there's no admiration. There's no love. It's it's all, you know, it's 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 survival. And, and this is, you know, 
that's just part of it, and, and that's what sucks. Um, but, you know, you figure it out, and you move on. Uh, what made you, like, decide to get into this professional sports betting when you could have made more money if you stuck with your original career uh, in finance? <laughs> that's a question I ask myself, not every day, but a lot. Like, I don't, I don't know. Like, I, I just, you know, I worked on Wall Street. I was at Deutsche. I was, I was doing well, and, you know, and... Um, I liked sports betting. I lost as a kid, and I said, shit, I was doing it part-time. I was making more money betting sports part-time than I was at my regular job. So I just said, maybe I could do this full-time, and I just did, and I never thought of, well, maybe I could just stick to this finance thing and make more money just sticking to this. That wasn't a road road option at that time in my mind. Um, My option was an entrepreneurial spirit to try to get out of the rat race. Um, I mentioned this a while ago, but the biggest moment for me, honestly, um, when I was working at Deutsche Bank, I'll, I'll never forget it. It was the 53rd Street, 52nd and, um, or 53rd Street Station, 52nd and 5th. Deutsche Bank was, the, the Deutsche Bank was located on 31 West 52nd Street. So I remember there's there this big ass escalator that you have to go up from the train station. And, um, you know, I was going to work just like everybody else. And there was this bum there just sitting between both escalators. And both escalators were going up at the time. And the bum there, you know, just bum, you know, nasty, smelly. You know, you'd always see him, though, and he was nuts. But he would just yell. And he, and he would just yell crazy shit. And that one morning, he was yelling, look at all you rats. Go report to your master. Um, oh, this rat race that you all run. Uh, and and then he would say this shit, and then, you know, you're just standing there on the escalator watching him, and that shit just hit me, like, shit, look at this, all these guys are in suits, I'm over here with my bag, all these working pros doing the whole nine to five shit, is this ever gonna end, like, is this what I want, I want my life to be, you know, doing the nine to five, and, I, you know, the biggest, it's, it's crazy when you look back on it, but one of the biggest lessons I learned was from a bum, telling me, you know, get out of this rat race, man. Figure it out on your own. And that motivated me. And if I could find that bum today, you know, I'd honestly buy him a house. You know what I mean? Because, like, I know it sounds crazy. You know what I mean? Like, it just, it's, it's, a, it's just a random bum. But, like, that guy changed my life. And, and that moment, it just that's when it hit me. I'm like, I got to get out of this show. I can't be doing this every day of my life. And, you see, you know. You see people, that, that was kind of like, you know, you know, you work till you're 65, you retire, and then, you know, you have a good pension, and, you know, you get good health coverage, and then you just live your life, and that's it. That's what everybody did, and I'm like, I don't want, that's boring to me. Like, I, I want more excitement. I want more control. I want to create something for myself, and, and um, and yeah, that, that's what, that's kind of the reason why I kind of went the sports betting route, Kevin. Do you think your job security uh, would have been better off if he stayed at Deutsche Bank compared to staying in the sports uh, betting field? <laughs> well, 100%, but the thing is that I was betting part-time and making more money part-time than I was working full-time at Deutsche. So just betting on nights and weekends, I was making more money. And I didn't, and it was for like a year I was making more money. So I kind of knew. And at the time, I was just married. I was a newly, I was just married for a year. And I told my wife, less than a year, I told my wife, listen, 
um, you know, she married, you know, again, my wife is Lebanese and, and, you know, her family, like they were happy. Look, they're marrying a guy that's working at a bit nice investment bank. He's working on Wall Street. You know, he's great. All of a sudden, a year after we're married, I'm saying, yeah, you know, I'm telling my wife, I want to go bet sports for a living. Like, oh, shit. You know what I mean? So, of course, she talks to her mom and. Now, all of a sudden, all these people are coming, are you sure about this shit? Like, you're making a good salary. You know, you're going to become a professional gambler. What are you, nuts? Um, and this is not, this is 2003 when I went full-time, um, which is very different than somebody saying, I want to be a professional gambler in 2023, where, you know, there's gambler every, gambling is everywhere. That's when it was, like, really super taboo. Like, you got to be out of your mind type shit. And I had my mom, my, I had so many people talk to me and say, are you crazy? You went to college, you got a degree, um, you know, you have a great job, what are you doing? You're going to gamble your life away, literally gamble your life away? And I'm like, it's not like that. You know, so it's um, the job security, I I felt it. I knew I was going to succeed just because it was tested well enough, but um, but convincing others was the hard part to be. It's always like the people who aren't bettors trying to explain what betting is to them. Um, when you're like at like functions within the community and people say, oh, Spanky, what do you do for a living? Um, how do you explain it to them? So I take two routes with that. Sometimes it depends on, on what kind of mood I'm in. Um, I would say 90% of the time, I just tell them I'm in computer science and I'm a computer, you know, I'm a, a software engineer, I'm a computer programmer. And that's it. It just ends there. That's when I'm not in the mood to have a conversation. I'm not in the mood to just, I I don't feel like doing it. Um, Occasionally, if it's, you know, if I might have had a couple of drinks in me or if I kind of feel the crowd or I'm like, all right, let's go. Let's see where this ends up. I'll tell them I bet sports for a living. And that goes one of two ways. It's either I'm the coolest guy in the room or I'm the biggest degenerate in the room. Um, There's no, there's no middle ground. Um, and it depends, you know, they'll either look down on, look down upon me or look up at me. There's no like, oh yeah, that's like a cool job, whatever. There's never, I, I never got just a regular expression. I've gotten one or the other and there was always an extreme. And I didn't, you know, obviously you want to be looked up and not looked down upon. Um, not that I care about getting looked up on either, but I, you know, you don't know who wants to get looked down on, but it's funny sometimes, you know what I mean? When you get looked at, like they, they, they look at me like I'm, uh, look at this degenerate loser. Um, and that's fine. You know, whatever you hate to, you know, I used to, I don't want to say about bother me. Um, but you know, like one of my wife's friends and shit, you know, she would, you know, they, they judge me and think that my wife was crazy from, you know, I don't know, man. It just, it got, I got to the point in which whatever it is, what it is. But, um, yeah, I don't, I don't, you know, it's, um, I don't really share too much outside of the people that, close friends on really what I do, Kevin, to be honest. Um, that's another reason why I love Bet Bash is I could be myself there and I fucking own it and people know who I am and know that it's me and I don't have to fucking just say I, I'm a computer scientist and shouldn't and just move on. It's just, it's, 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 um, it's like, yeah, I'm, I'm a pro gambler and you're a pro gambler and you're an aspiring pro. And we could all talk together and you're a recreation. We're just all gamblers. I'm amongst my people. Whereas when you go anywhere else in a cocktail party or whenever you're going anywhere, if I go out to any function and shit, I am never with my people. 
you know, just because you just, you're, you, I guarantee any, you're, you're, you'll find doctors, you'll find lawyers, you'll find engineers, you'll find teachers, you know, any, any profession, uh, you're not going to find other pro gamblers there. Just not, it's not the, it's not the parties I'm going to. So, um, you know, and, and that's why I just, you know, you kind of, uh, I, I, I'd rather blend in um, and just, you know, just go on my merry way. So, that's three. What's going to be different? Bet Bash 3? How are you going to top one and two? Man, I, I, that's a great question. Um, Sports Gambling Hall of Fame, that's going to be a big thing. Um, you know, that's that's the uh, the capstone event where we're going to honor legends. Three Hall of Famers have already been announced. Billy Walters, um, Frank Lefty Rosenthal, and, um, and Roxy Roxborough. Um, and there's going to be seven more announced. Um, and everyone's going to be there to accept the award, of course, in person, of course, the deceased. There's a relative of them that will be accepting an, an award on their behalf. Um, so that's going to be a huge event. we got a thing called Bet Dash, which is like a scavenger hunt um, where there's going to be we're giving away $20,000 in prizes. Teams get randomly put together trying to solve puzzles and working together as a team. Um, you make new friends, try to win some money. Either way, though, you're going to have a good time and make new friendships. Cocktail parties out the wazoo, um, drink fests, watch party for the um, preseason game that um, on um, August 10th. I think it was just announced. I think it was, I don't know who it was, but there's going to be a, a watch party there. Um, the Hall of Fame dinner is a four course dinner. Um, uh, panels, um, Billy Walters is going to be there signing his book. Um, you know, I, I, uh, I, I think, uh, I think it's going to be good, man. I, I don't know if I could ever top that bash too, but we're going to try. You know, that's all I can promise. <laughs> so for the sports gambling hall of fame, what makes it different than the other sports gambling related hall of fames? Why is this one needed and special? So the sports gambling hall of fame, I created that. First off, we have a physical presence in the circus sports book, um, which is something to be said. Derek Stevens, I wanted to build this sports gambling hall of fame. So th there's another sports betting hall of fame that's out there. And I'm not going to talk bad about any other hall of fame. You know, I know the SBC people that run that and that's more executives based. Like most, a lot of executives get inducted into that and, and whatnot. Um, and that's fine. You know, we're, we're more focused on, on guys that kind of built the business guys that were on the front lines, bookmakers and betters. Um, guys like Billy Walters, for instance, you know, the, recognized as the best sports better that ever lived. Um, you know, that's when I think of sports gambling hall of fame, I think of Billy Walters. You know, if there's somebody that should probably have their own wing in a hall of fame, it's Billy Walters. Um, so that's kind of what we're going. And then guys, you know, you know, there's other members. I can't really mention names cause they haven't been released, but just think about all the old timers that kind of built Vegas and stuff. And, and, and that's how I think, and, and we're going to have a physical pre presence. And the only way I think this could have been done is we needed a physical presence. So I asked Derek Stevens, you know, through Matt Metcalf, and we, we went and had a meeting, and Derek was all for it. Um, Derek Stevens is, is, you know, Derek loves legacy and preservation and honoring the past. Just look at the Legacy Club on top of the Circa. He has busts of all, you know, essentially the founding fathers, the guys that have made the biggest impact on Las Vegas history. 
He's big into that. So I said, Derek, I want to build a sports gambling hall of fame and I want to house it in the circa. <laughs> you know, that's a pretty ballsy thing to freaking ask a casino owner. Hey, you want to do this? And he said, yeah, I think it's a great idea. Let's do it. I'm like, Holy shit. Did he just say, like, I couldn't even believe it. Uh, and he was all for it because he wants to, pres- he recognizes that, you know, number one, he's the world's best, beautiful, most beautiful sports book, as everybody knows. And where else can you have a sports gaming hall of fame other than the Circa? So he's going to take down the left wall. You know how, where you have those sheets, um, the betting sheets, the daily betting sheets of the day on each side of the, um, of the count of the, the ticket writers, you have a sheets on the left and sheets on the right. Now, given it's 2023, not as many people use betting sheets these days. Most people are using apps or whatever, you know, even though they're still put out there. So what he does is he's going to keep the right wall betting sheets, but he's going to take the left wall betting sheets out and make an enclave that kind of resembles the Stardust Handicappers Library from back in the day, and that's what's going to house the Hall of Fame. So, um, yeah, you know what I mean? Like, Shit, you know what I mean? That's pretty, pretty damn awesome. And, um, and, you know, he kind of entrusted me to handle everything. And, you know, I built this committee and this committee is the who's who of, of sports gambling that <laughs> knows their stuff inside out that have spent their lives in this business. Um, you mentioned Fats. He's one of the members of the committee. Um, you know, I, I wanted to make sure that I had enough Bookmakers, betters, uh, a, a, a representation of both to be able to make sure. And in order to get inducted into the Sports Gambling Hall of Fame, Kevin, you need a 75% approval rating. Uh, you know, so that is not easy to get. Um, and um, trust me, you know what I mean? It's not. And I'm not, I, I don't vote. I'm just an administrator. I don't, I don't, you know, I don't, I, I don't, I don't believe I, I have enough experience to vote. And plus I kind of wanted to run the thing and in case people had a problem and stuff, I didn't want to be involved in the voting because the last thing I want people to say is damn spanky. How did this guy get in and this guy not get in? I now could say, listen, buddy, I don't know. I built the committee, the committee votes. You got to talk to the committee members, not me. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not voting. Um, but they did an unbelievable job. And once this whole first class is revealed, it's going to be pretty, you know, apparent how great of a job they did. Yeah, because when I first, a lot of times when I hear about Hall of Fames and awards, I usually think it's just a ploy to get more people to go to an event, which even if it is for this case, uh, more power to you because this is an actual legit Hall of Fame. Because um, I know organizations, they'll give as many awards as possible. So people are going to go to the, their uh, $100 plate uh, dinners. Yeah, some of the plates are like $500 or something. Things that if we're, we're both talking about the same one. It's insane, Kevin. Yeah. Um, having a physical Hall of Fame is very important to me. Um, and that's kind of, you know, you know, you can't just have a website. You know, there's a Hall of Fame. No. It's got to be a physical location. And if I'm an aspiring sports better, and if I go to the Circa on vacation, or if I'm with my buddies, I'm there for March Madness, and I see a big sign that says Sports Gambling Hall of Fame, I'm going to go in there and I'm going to say, shit, you could get good enough as either a better or a bookmaker to be a Hall of Famer in sports gambling, that's pretty cool. Um, and I think that'll make people want to, you know, hey, let me go place my my bet, my, my, my first bet on my way to becoming a Hall of Famer. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. It's inspiring, at least to me. 
like shit, man. When I was coming up in a business, and I would see Billy Walters, and you hear the legend of Billy Walters. That shit was inspiring. How much fear this guy caused. You know, I didn't get a chance to speak to Billy until last year, and one of the nicest guys I've ever met. But you know, I'm sitting here having lunch with Billy, and I'm talking to him, and he's so nice, man, so nice. And that, but in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, this guy has caused bookmakers to shit their pants, to fucking, to be so nerd, like, he is, you know, when it comes to sports betting, the guy has, has caused havoc, he's put people out of business, he is as, 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 as cutthroat and ruthless as they get, he wants to win, and he's gonna win, and, you know, so it's just, you know, in business, some people, like you say, some people, outside of business, you get the best gentleman, but when they're involved in a business, um, they're on a different level. And that's, I think, what BW is. BW, once he's involved in his business, um, there is nobody that is no, more notorious for being as, you know, as as not just successful, but as successful with a squeeze as possible. Like, you would, you know, don't cross BW. You know what I mean? I have another story about that, you know, but I don't know if, you know, I mentioned it before, but we don't have to get into it if you don't want to. Uh, Whatever you want to get into. No, I, you know, this is a quick story I've mentioned before, but <coughs> I remember I had a runner at the Mirage. This is back in 07, 08, maybe. And, uh, and nobody knew this was my runner. We bet a game, LSU, I think. I don't know what it was, minus seven. And then I get a phone call about 10 minutes later. And a buddy of mine calls me up and he goes, you have a runner at the Mirage? And I'm like, what? It's a random question. What are you asking this for? Just answer the question. Do you have a runner at the Mirage? And I said, why are you asking? He goes, just answer me. Do you have a runner at the Mirage named Paul? And I'm like, whoa, wait a minute. Dude, how did you know my runner's name? Nobody knows that this guy's working for me. He goes, listen, um, I got a call and from Billy Walters and he he's advising you to stop betting his plays at the Mirage. That's his place. And that's it. And I said, wow. So, you know, that scared the shit out of me. I'm, you know, still in the business seven years, you know, I had enough wisdom to know, to say, to not to say, fuck you his place, you know what I mean, he doesn't own the Mirage, so I had enough wisdom not to say that, but enough, and, and, and also enough wisdom to be like, that's like really scary, like, for him to know my runner's name, because my runner doesn't talk to anybody, he has people that are working at the Mirage, that are reporting to him, that once the line moved, and we laid that seven and it went to eight, that Billy has the power to call the Mirage up and say, who took, who bet that minus seven? And then whoever did has, has such a great relationship with him, gave him the fucking guy's name and, um, and told him. And then somehow, some way, I don't know how they figured out that guy's working for me. So once that happened and I just said, this is Billy's world. I'm just living in it. Um, I got to be careful here. And since, you know, since that day, um, you know, I, I never bet a college football game at the Mirage that I knew that was Billy Walters play. Um, 
and that's it. You know what I mean? You just have to take your loss and you just move on. But that's the kind of power BW has, and that's how strong he is, and that's how impactful he was in the business. A Hall of Famer in anybody's book um, in the sports gambling world. So I wanted to know, you, you have, you're busy as a professional better. You have your other business ventures. Why do you put time into a podcast? I mean, we love it, but why do you like to do it? So thank you for that, um, for the kind words again. I created this podcast. So when I first came up with a business, I paid my tuition, as they say. I paid my fees, my dues, um, you know, learning and losing and, and whatnot. And then before I started winning, how did I start winning? How did I get the information to start winning? I used to go to these forums, Major Wager, Better's World, the RX, um, to name a few. And I would go on there and I would ask questions. And I would private message some people. Or people would private message me after I publicly posted a question. And I can't explain, begin to explain the help that I got. Um, purchasing data. You know, back in 2000, you know, when the internet was at its infancy stages, you know, there's no such thing as you could just get data from anywhere. Um, there's a website, I mentioned this before, it's called thelogicalapproach.com. If you go to thelogicalapproach.com, it looks exactly the same way as it did, I think, in 2000 or 99, 2000 when I purchased that data. It is the exact same website. It's run by Andy Escoe, who's out of Vegas. And he is the original data collector that I, uh, from at that time, I don't know anybody else because that's how, how I was guided to. And that if I didn't get guided to that, you wouldn't know. You know what I mean? Back then, everybody wasn't using Google. Google wasn't even a search engine, I don't think, back in 2000 or, 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 or 99. You know, we were using Alta Vista and shit or Ask Jeeves. Um, you know, I'm, I'm kind of aging myself here, but, you know, and it wasn't that great. And, and you had to just kind of find out and ask around. So, again, long-winded answer, but given how people have helped me out, I figured, listen, let me build a podcast to try to help others out. Now, don't get me wrong, okay? Oh, Spanky, cut it out. Don't bullshit that you're a good Samaritan and you're trying to just help the world out. You're right. I'm, of course, trying for people to listen to my podcast and say, shit, this shit is too hard. Let me just call Chinese Mike and become his betting partner. And then, you know, you know. so obviously, you know, I'm not going to bullshit. That's an option, right? But for those that really put the effort in and don't want to be my buddy partner, they just want to do it on their own, that's okay too. And I, I truly believe, like, I put my heart into that shit. And I don't just release an episode to release an episode. Um, I never accepted a sponsorship from anybody just because I didn't want to be committed to put content out there where I um, didn't think that the content was quality enough to put out. So I didn't want to put pressure on myself and do that. So I now release episodes when I feel the need that it could be good and, you know, you could become a better, better by listening to it. The name of the podcast is Be Better Betters, and I think that every episode, there's something in there that you could take out of every single episode, even till this day, you could go back, and listen to whatever episode you want, there's some way you could become a better, better. And and, and that's how I did it. And um, I, I, you know, I appreciate all the feedback. And, you know, I'm glad it's 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 uh, people like it as much as they do. 
Yeah, we appreciate you continuing to do it. Uh, as we end the show, what's the best piece of advice uh, that you could give to 90 Degrees listeners? Wow. It's funny you say that. My, my, the ending of my podcast is, what's a piece of advice? How do you come a better, better? Um, and um, <laughs> so now I'm being asked my own question. I don't even know how to answer it. How about this? You know, we'll, we'll go different. We just, you know, um, I think that 90 Degrees listeners um, are, 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 you run a gr- such a great podcast, Kevin. I've listened to a few of your episodes. Um, and I think, honestly, that the biggest thing is to, li- no matter what podcast you listen to, whether it be Better, Better, 90 Degrees, Circles Off, anyone, when you listen, try to read between the lines. Not everybody's going to give you the roadmap um, and say, here's the X. But there are a lot of times in which somebody is going to say something that could not only inspire you, but could also be that, igni- that, that something that could ignite an idea or that could lead you to um, a way to be able to do something and create something on your own and make your own or, you know, finagle it in a way to make your own that it's something that could be lead to a, a successful venture. So I just think that listening to people that really know their shit is, is, is an under undervalued asset in the sports gambling world. Um, and I think you could listen, even, even, the, even the crummiest of crummiest of touts or whatever, it doesn't matter. Everybody knows something. There's good in everyone, I believe. And if you just listen sometimes, you might be able to catch a nugget. All right, Spanky, thank you for coming on 90 Degrees. I look forward to seeing you at Bet Batch 3 and around New Jersey. Kevin, thank you so much. I appreciate it, brother. And I um, it really is an honor to be on your podcast. The easiest way to improve as a sports better is to use multiple sports books and always get the best odds. We recommend using an odds comparison tool like BetStamp. BetStamp compares odds across every sportsbook for games, futures, and player props. Save time and money by checking BetStamp before you bet. Download the app today for free. If you're looking to sign up for a new sportsbook account, please check out the offers available at betstamp.app forward slash circles off or hit the link in the description. If you sign up through this page, it helps support the show. Big bomb bomb bangers. Thank you for tuning in to 90 Degrees, presented by the Hammer Betting Network and Pinnacle Sportsbook. Head over to our webpage, thehammer.bet, for all your sports betting needs. If you've enjoyed the show, please click that like button. If you're new to the channel, hit the subscribe button. If you've made it this far, please drop a comment on your favorite Be Better Betters episode. Let's cash.